Beautiful words we just sang. How encouraging, so gospel-rich. Those refrains, yet not I, but Christ in me. Good to have Ethan Vroom serving us this morning. As many of you know here, Ethan is one of our pastoral interns here at the church. Thankful for him stepping in and serving us this day. I mentioned actually in the pastoral notes this morning also our worship interns, Maxwell Shell and Noah Akins, who served us so faithfully, as well as Greg Wilbur, who's always behind the magic that happens on Holy Week uh, for Maundy Thursday, for Good Friday, and for Easter morning. I do feel, and I said it in the uh, opening remarks, I feel something of an afterglow of Easter is still upon me as I'm with you this day. It's like I've been hovering slightly above the ground all week long. The Lord was just so faithful to meet us richly uh, last week. And for those of you who are able to course through the fullness of the weekend with us on Thursday, Friday, and Sunday, you know exactly what I mean. You know how rich it was to have the gospel of Jesus Christ pressed into our souls in such a rich way. And I pray that today, by His grace, the overflow of that very reality will, will be with us as we look at Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 uh, this morning. We are slowing things down, as you can see. You're, you're, now, you're now beginning to wonder, is this a 300-part series in the book of Ephesians He's now gone to one verse a week. That's where, that's where we are because we dealt with 2, 8, and 9 last week, and, and I'm really only dealing with 10 today. 8 and 9 are just there to remind us of the context of where it is that we are. So this is your one-verse sermon. Now, again, I've, those of you who've been here for a while, don't think that means you get a shorter message today because it's one verse long. It just means we get to go a little deeper, right, in this, this wonderful, wonderful text together. I think really, to be quite honest, an oft-neglected verse in Ephesians uh, chapter 2 because you know Ephesians 2, 8, 9, if you've been in the church for many years, for by grace you've been saved through faith, Right? And that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. You probably like learned John 3.16 and Psalm 23 and then Ephesians 2.8.9. That's if you grew up in the church, it's something along those lines. But what you, what if I would have said, hey, quote for me Ephesians 2.10, you'd go, <laughs> I don't know Ephesians 2.10, right? What is that one? For we are his workmanship, right? Created in Christ Jesus. That's what we're going to explore today because it really rounds out the Apostle Paul's thoughts. In fact, if you have your Bibles open at this particular moment, you'll notice that verse 10 is the end of the first section of Ephesians chapter 2. Verses 1 through 10 in Ephesians 2 is really a section, and verse 11 opens up the next section, verses 11 to 22. And so verse 10 really rounds out the Apostle Paul's uh, thinking and what he's, what he's trying to advance uh, towards us this morning. And so it, it deserves us some time just to pause in it and to sit in it and be uh, encouraged by this really important instruction from the Apostle. So let's lean in to this word from Ephesians chapter 2 beginning in verse 8. This is God's word. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, 
so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. Oh, Father, we believe that your word is true all the time. Not just when we think it's true, not just when it says something that we agree with, not just when we are personally moved by it. Your word is true whether we believe it or not. It is that true. It is the reality on which all of this world is sustained. That the cosmos is is held up, you tell us in Paul's writing in the letter of Colossians, that the whole world is held up and sustained by the word of your power. Today, O oh Lord, would you feed us from this more necessary word than, of course, the bread or the toast that we ate this morning for breakfast. We survive not on physical food. We survive on the spiritual food of your word. And we need your Holy Spirit now to come and feed us with this word in Ephesians 2.10. Would you cause us to be cracked open in heart to receive the gospel word like the seed that it is. That it might germinate, it might root, and it might fruit in our lives for your glory. That we who boast might boast only in the Lord. Would you hear this prayer and would you answer it? In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I want to look at two ways with you in this text from Ephesians 2, verse 10. I want you to see two things, two fundamental things about who we are as human beings in Christ Jesus. I want you to see, number one, your identity. You are his workmanship. That's who you are. And I want you to see, secondly, your calling. What is your calling? Well, you are created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works. There's your calling. Your identity is that you are God's workmanship. That's who you are. I don't know how you define yourself or the words that you use or the associations that you use or the history that you tell or the accomplishments that you set forward or who your mom or dad is or what you've gone through. I don't know how you define your identity, but here's how God defines your identity. You are his workmanship. That's what he says. And I don't know how you define your calling, what it is that you're called to do. And you go, I'm a I'm a butcher, I'm a baker, I'm a candlestick maker, right? That's what I am. I'm a husband, I'm a wife, I'm not a husband or a wife. I am a mother and a father, I'm not a mother and a father. I'm a, I'm a child, I'm, I'm immature, I'm not mature, I'm, I'm poor, I'm, I'm rich. I'm, I've, I've achieved much. I've achieved nothing. I've wasted the last two decades of my life. I've done everything that I've, I feel like God's called me to do with the time he's been. I don't know what you think your calling is, how you've done with it, but here's the calling that the Lord has given to you. You've been created in Christ Jesus for good works. 
You've been created in Christ Jesus for good. I just want to sit in those two things. Your identity in Jesus, your, his workmanship, and your calling in Jesus. That you've been created for good works. Now notice, and, and this is why we read verses 8 and 9 in Ephesians 2. Notice verse 10 begins with the word for. Now your English teacher would tell you this is a conjunction, right? It's an important word. It connects to ideas. It's used in prepositional phrases, too, in clauses to distinguish or set apart something. It means that Paul is saying, what I'm about to tell you is connected to what I just told you. In light of all of that, for we are his workmanship, all right? So he's connecting an idea here. And so we need to ask, what is he trying to connect this for we are his workmanship with? We need to understand that. We'll look at verses 8 9. For by grace you have been saved by faith. This is a gift of God. It's not of works lest anyone should boast. And so he wants you to be reminded as we enter into verse 10 that the salvation that you have received has been given to you solely by grace. And even the faith by which you have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ is a gift of God so that you might trust in Him. All of it is of grace so that you can't say to yourself, man, I was so smart to trust in Jesus. Man, it was a great decision on my part. I must be a bit of a cut above everybody else who hasn't done that. No, there's no boasting. Lest anyone should be able to boast. He wants you to know it's all of grace. And he says of you, this means then that who you are now, you are his workmanship. You ever heard the phrase, I am what I am by the grace of God. But for the grace of God, I am. That's what Paul is saying. That's what he's saying. You are his workmanship. Everything that you are is something he did. He worked you. You are his made thing. That's literally, if we were to translate it in the Greek, it's kind of an odd word actually. You are the made thing of God. You are the working thing of God. You, you, you have been shaped and crafted by him. You're his workmanship. Now, this word, workmanship, is only used twice in the whole of the Scriptures. It's used here in Ephesians 2.10, and it's used in Romans 1. In Romans 1, the Apostle Paul is speaking about creation. He actually says this in Romans 1.20. For his invisible attributes, speaking of God, his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature can be clearly perceived. You can see them. How do you see God's power and His eternal nature? How do you see it? It can be clearly perceived. Notice, ever since the creation of the world, in the workmanship of God, in the things that He made. That's how you know it, in the things that He made, in the made things. In the made things, you clearly perceive His divine power and His divine nature and His beauty and His glory and His order. Like so many things about God is revealed in and through uh, creation. So Romans chapter 1 is saying, look to the heavens. Psalms 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows forth His handiwork. You see God in the things of which He has 
made. That's a really important, important piece. And we even saw in, well, I mean, we saw, I remember, okay, Thursday, I'm at the ballpark. I'm at the ballpark a lot these days. And we were actually, we didn't have a ball game actually that night. Friends of ours in this congregation had, had a ball game. And so we didn't even need to be at the ballpark, but we went to the ballpark to watch our friends play at the ballpark. And we were there on Thursday, and many of you here in Franklin will re- remember. It's a beautiful, beautiful evening. You know, cool breeze, little cloud cover. And we look up as the baseball game is happening. What do we see? see that rainbow. Did you see that rainbow? And it just stayed like forever. It just was there. And then it was like, oh, we saw this side of the rainbow. And then we saw this side of the rainbow. And 30 minutes later, we see it's a double rainbow for a, for a period of time. And, and we're there talking, look at this, God in real time, right? God in real time, showing forth his glory, showing forth his, his power. Some of you probably saw, right? The wonderful story this week when the Covenant School gathered, right, for the first time since the shooting, almost three weeks ago now, for a chapel service at Covenant on Monday. They walked out of the chapel service. What do they see across the sky? A rainbow. They saw the glory of God revealing his promises in the word. Now, you know, I'm enough of a reformed Presbyterian pastor to say that was not by happen chance that our God is kind isn't he? To remind us of his grace. I mean, the beauty of Easter day. Do I have to tell you that he is kind? The beauty of Easter day. Did you not say to yourself, there is a God and he loves us. Look at this weather. This is unbelievable. Workmanship. Romans 1. He is revealed in that way. Now, here's what's, here's what's amazing about that is that, that this, this workmanship is not simply by, by nature of creation, but he says here in Ephesians 2.10 that you're the only other thing that the Lord has made in the world that is to reveal his glory. It is you, O Christian. You are his workmanship. You can see God's glory in the creation. But notice what he says here in Ephesians 2.10. Do you want to see his glory in the new creation? Do you want to see his glory in recreation? In salvation? You know how you see the glory of God in recreation and in salvation? You look at his people. You look at his people. That we are, we are a people who, what does he say here? For we are his workmanship. Notice the language. Created in Christ Jesus. We've been created. Notice he didn't say, you've been updated. You've been improved. You've advanced. Didn't didn't use that language, did he? He said, you've been created. Now, why would he say that? Because, beginning of Ephesians 2, you're dead. You're dead in your trespasses and sins, right? There's, There's no life in you. But now in Christ Jesus, you have been worked into life. You have come alive. You are the fruit of the resurrection. You are the new creation afoot right now in the world. You're the beginning of the renewal of all things as Christ Jesus came up from the grave. You who are regenerated in Jesus, you are his workmanship. Now, usually it's remarkable. Some of you know this. Like, 
The word here in Ephesians 2.10 is the word poema in the, in the Greek. Now you hear, because some of you are literary majors, right? So you immediately clue in on this. That, that it's a Greek root word from which we get the word poem. Poema. That's this word of workmanship. Some, have, some translators have translated, and it's not entirely um, out of scope to do so, but have translated, we are his poem. We are his poem. Now, that's, I think that's true and that's incomplete. The word's much larger than, than poem. You know, for those of you who are poets in here, you're like, oh, that's beautiful. For those of you in here who's like, I can never understand poetry. That doesn't help me at all. You can understand beauty in the world. You can understand masterpieces in the world. I love F.F. Bruce's translation here. He says, we are God's work of art. We are his masterpiece. We, we are his beautiful Rembrandt. We, we are his glorious Piate. We, we are the ones who are being delivered from ivory stone into the beautiful portrait of Michelangelo's David. He's like, that's what's going on with you. You are his masterpiece. Like, the rainbow, that was great and all. You are his masterpiece. That's what the scriptures say. You are his masterpiece. You're, you're his finest work of craftsmanship. You are the height of his artistry. This is, this is who you are. We are his workmanship. We are created in Christ Jesus. Now, I just want, again, many of you here in this room are saying, well, I think that was true of my grandmother. She was pretty great, right? She was pretty holy. She, she did wonderful things for people. I think that's true for people in the world. They're, they are beautiful and, and uh, creative, and they've got lots of gifts. And I want you to hear what the Bible is saying. It's not saying that this artistry is depending on the capacities of the individual, or this artistry is dependent upon uh, the particular goodness of this person. You are by virtue of salvation by grace through faith, the workmanship of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to talk more about this just in terms of application in a minute, especially for those of you who feel not quite like a work of art. And I would include myself among this group, by the way, that I'm sitting there going, are you sure, like, that this, like, I'm, you know, if this is the height of artistry, I've got questions about the artist, right? We're going to get to that question. Hold it for just a minute because we're going to end really thinking about that. This is who you are. This is who you are. This is who the Bible says that you are. You are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Now, here's what I want you to see secondly. What does that mean? Does that mean that we sit around and we stare at you? Uh, does that mean that we are uh, essentially... A museum of, 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 of sorts. We just walk around and go, oh, look at you. Look at you. You are a piece of art. And some of you, we go, you are a piece of work. <laughs> you say different things. but No, no we didn't say that. But, well, we probably would say that. But nevertheless, we, this is your idea. You are work. Is that what we do? And he says, no. This work, this work that God has created, this piece of art, this work, works. It works. 
Its beauty comes out in what it's called to do. Its beauty is called out in what it's called to do. You are his workmanship. How could you not then be workers? How could you not be workers? Notice the purpose of our being saved. Secondly, our calling here, our purpose in this, in this identity is that we are created in Christ Jesus. Notice four. Do you remember the lesson we said just a few moments ago? Four, what's it about? It's about connecting to the previous thought. You are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. For what reason? For good works. For good works. That's your calling. We aren't here to just hang on the wall and say, isn't she pretty? Isn't he, isn't he handsome? No, the beauty of God's artistry is on display through the works of which he has called us into. Now I want you to follow the logic of this just so you can hear the logic. I think the logic is compelling. And for those of you who are like, I can't follow logic. Well, this is your moment to check out. We'll come back to you in a minute. But here it is. If Christ does good works, does Christ do good works? Yes, class. Christ does good works. If the work he does, did to recreate us is a good work, is that a good work to recreate us? That's a good work. And if his life is our very life, is his life your very life? The spirit that dwells in you is the spirit that raised him from the dead. You are in Christ right now positionally. So if he does good works, if the work that he did in creating you is a good work and his life is actually in you, how could you not work? You catch, the, you catch the logic. How can you not work? What is a workless Christian? You'd need a workless Christ to have a workless Christian. We don't have a workless Christ. We have a good working Christ. You're in him. He's in you. You're a working Christian. You're a good working Christian. That's what you are. That's what he says. This is your calling in life. Now this is so, I just want to hear, I want you to hear how helpful this is. Because some of you are in here, it's like, I've been wrecking my mind over and over about what I'm called to. What are my, what are my gifts? I'm not sure my gifts are being used. And I want you to say, this is a peculiarly North American issue. And I think in part because we have so much time on our hands to think about it. Is that we're just like, am I perfectly suited for the thing that is called here? And we take like 5,000 personality tests and strength finders and all this stuff to figure it out. Do you know what you're called to, the Bible says? Good works. You're called to, you're called to good works. Now, don't hear me. Don't hear me. Say that you shouldn't explore, as we do here at Cornerstone on a regular basis, spiritual gifting. Where are your strengths and where are your, your weaknesses? Where are your drives and proclivities? What, how are you made and oriented? It's wonderful work. Let's be about that work. Let's not get tied up in a wad, worrying we're not perfectly within the pigeonhole of what this gifting might mean. Because here, let me just, for a minute, let's just blow the categories. I'll put them back together in a little bit. God will often do his best work through you by what you're not good at. It is in your weakness that he is strong, you see. It is in the ways that you fail. He will do his greatest work. Why? Because you are his workmanship. This isn't your work, you see. 
This is his word. I think sometimes all of our discussion about what are my strengths, what are my gifts, what should I be doing, has more to do with us. It has more to do with us. Often less to do with with him. We are his workmanship. I don't know if you've noticed this, but life has a way of putting you in situations where your weaknesses will be exposed. Have you noticed this? And you've tried, as I've tried, to have that not happen. And guess what? It doesn't work. Because we are his workmanship. And he uses the weak things. He uses the things that are not to bring to nothing the things that are. That's what he does. If he's saving the world by a cross, might he use your weakness to recreate the world and develop good works in the world? Might he do that? Now, let me go back. I'm not saying, let's don't think about our strengths. Let's don't. We have a beautiful talent bank here at Cornerstone. We do through our shepherding program where we think we ask you questions about what it is you're gifted in, what you have drives for, desires for, all of those things. Those are wonderful. But I don't want you to get in the mindset of, oh, I'm not doing that because that's not in my gifts. Is it a good work? Do you have the capacities to move towards it? Does the church and God's people need it? It might be an option for you to say yes to. You know, every, every week, I'll tell you, this was one of those weeks. Every week I go, man, I still, I'm still growing a lot in this pastor thing. Like, there are things that I get by doing okay, pretty well. And then there are days where I go, hmm, there's a lot of weakness here. There's a long way to go. And then I have to remind myself, oh, yeah, Jesus, you use that too. You use even that. How freeing is that? How freeing is it to know that we are called for good works? We're called for good works. That may be this morning welcoming someone who is new. That might be be volunteering in the nursery. It's the simple things in life, right? Most of the things you do are not going to end up on the news. That's probably a good thing. But they're not going to be remembered in the annals of history. It's the collection of small fidelities of which the trophy of Jesus' workmanship is shown. That's what he wants you to have. You're called to good works. That's what you're, that's what you're called to. You're called to good, good works. Now, let me just ask a question because the time is, you know how the time works here. It's faster here than at any other point in the week. Now, I know for you who are out there, it's the slowest few minutes of the week. But for me, who's standing up here, it's the fastest minutes of the week. Um, What are the good works that we are called to do? Do you have that question? Right? What are good works? But let me me just quickly say, we'll, we'll have a lot of shots at this through Ephesians. So I don't have to say everything now. Praise the Lord. Good works are those which are done in Christ Jesus. Because ultimately, the only good works that could come from you and me are those that can become in Christ Jesus, covered, wrapped in his grace, fueled by his spirit, according to his word. Now, those three breakdowns, wrapped in his grace, fueled by his spirit, directed by his word, we could do, that's a sermon. You see the three points there? I know, it just comes out all the time. It's just the way it works. So that's a sermon right there. We're not going to preach that sermon. That's a sermon for another day. But they're the works that are in Christ Jesus. What are the works that Paul has in mind? Well, I just want you to just sort of coming attractions in Ephesians for a second. The whole latter half of Ephesians, chapters 4, 5, and 6, is about the good works. 
All this section is rich in grace and gospel and who you are in Christ. Later he's going to tell you, here's what that means. Here's some of the things he says. He says, uh, well, let me give you first Ephesians 4.22. He says, here's what good works looks like. Putting off the old self, which belongs to the former manner of life. It's not who you are anymore. Ephesians 2.24, put on the new self. Notice again the language. Created, created, same language here, after the likeness of God in righteousness and holiness. So here's what, here's what good works are. It's putting off what is actually not you anymore, the old man. All the attending sins and deceitful desires and all this. Putting those things off. It's putting those things off. It's putting those things down. And it's putting on who you are in Christ Jesus. After the likeness of God in holiness and righteousness. That's a summary of what good work. Anything that does that. That's putting to death the old man and living to who you are in Christ Jesus. And so then you say to yourself, well, practically, what does that mean? Let me give you a few examples of what Paul says. He says, in terms of your speech... This means not lying and not speaking in corrupt manners, but instead speaking the truth in love to your neighbor. In terms of your emotional life, it means not being overwhelmed with unrighteous anger, um, but being self-controlled. In terms of your work life, it means being diligent and honest, working unto the Lord and not for men. It means um, sacrificial, that you freely give and share that which is yours with those who are in need. It means you're forgiving. You don't hold grudges to to other people, but you forgive and are kind because you know what you've been forgiven in Christ Jesus. That you're gentle and tenderhearted towards others. You have compassionate uh, hearts towards them. It means that you're sexually chaste. You don't covet another's body or act immorally. That you're content. You don't look to the world for satisfaction, but you're full, he says, of thanksgiving. And then he has sections where he then unpacks what it's like in a marriage. Husband and wife, Ephesians 5. Um, children and, and parents. Um, and, then, and then employers and employees. He goes into different spheres and he unpacks what good works are going are gonna to look like. Now, as I went through that list, did you do what I do when I go through lists like that? Did you do like... How am I doing? <laughs> did you do that internally a little bit? And did you feel like some like, we got work to do? Did you, feel, did you feel that? That's right. Okay. All right. We're all in this together, friends. That's why I'm telling you. Okay. Just so you know. Secrets out. And do you have something in your mind that does this little pivot? It's a trap. And that's why I want to call it out. Do you have this question? I wonder how many of those I have to do. For it to really be enough. And if you have that question ever pop up in your mind. Do you have what I would call the quota problem? What's the quota of good works? And I'll tell you, if you ask people on the street the way that they understand this. And I will say Christians who haven't thought through their faith, you'll often hear similar things. Well, is, I'm just trying to do more good things than the bad things. That by the time I reach those pearly gates, I might be in the clear. Now, what just happened? We forgot Ephesians 2, 8, 9. We forgot the whole context of Ephesians 2, 10. This is not about heaven. It's not about getting into heaven. It's not about salvation. 
This is not about your worth. This is not about you being a trophy of his workmanship. We've already talked about your identity, right? Now we're talking about what your identity does when it's working itself out. But immediately you'll find your mind go back and subvert the sense of salvation and immediately start what? Having a little fear and anxiety. Or having a little pride. I think I'm doing pretty good. You know, you went through that list. I think, I think I've done pretty good. No boasting. Paul knows us really well, you see. And then, if we're, for those of you, I don't think I did very well. Fear and anxiety. Right? That's your response. If you catch yourself, you know, creating the legend of you in your mind or falling off the bandwagon into despair, just know you've probably lost sight of the gospel. You've probably lost sight, sight of the gospel. Now, in this particular case, he's not asking you the question of quota. He doesn't even ask that. In fact, two things he wants to tell you real quickly. Two things he wants to tell you. And here's why we know this, right? Notice how he, how he puts it. Notice how he, he, he describes not to think in quota terms Okay, when we come to good works. Paul says that you are created for good works that you should walk in them. That you should walk in them. Now notice he didn't say, and you should do this many. And here's works as actions or of duties. He says you should walk in them. Now why would he say walk in good works? Because what's he saying? I want you to think not about, I've done a bunch of good things, and you have done some bad things, but I think at the end they'll measure out. He wants you to think of the whole of your life. The whole of your life. There's not a moment where you're saying, oh, okay, okay, this. now I've got to make up over here. The whole of your lifestyle is unto good works. So let's put this in perspective. This will mean, hey, your neighbor needs financial help, and you find out about it, and the Lord's given you resources, and you decide to meet those financial resources, and you, you help your neighbor. Praise be to God. That's a beautiful portrait of the gospel, isn't it? Jesus' riches have been given to you in your poverty so that you might become rich. Right? What a wonderful display of good works. What a, well, that just, that's a nature of generosity that comes from being changed by Christ. That's a beautiful thing. right? Now you failed. You're really stingy. Right? That's the next day after you did that, you had another opportunity and you just were really stingy. You're like, hey, I did that yesterday. I don't have to do, I, I, think, I, I think I'm done for the week. I'm done for the good works for the week. That's sin. <laughs> okay, let's call that what that is. Now, what do you do? You repent and you ask for forgiveness. And the Lord in his grace forgives you. Now, what is repentance and what is the process of confession? That's a good work. That's a good work. And Christ caused that to happen in you. He's at work in you. You see, even when you fail, even when you fail, the other side of it is an opportunity for a good work. Sometimes you think that your failure can't be overcome. I'm going to tell you right now. In the cross and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, there is no way that you can fall so far down that the righteous right hand of God can't lift you up. I don't care how many decades you've wasted. He will, he will restore the years that the locusts have eaten. 
He will do it. He is a faithful, faithful God. He says, we walk in it this way. We walk. We don't, it's not a quota. We walk in it. And then notice the second thing he says. This is so, so unexpected. Where do these good works come from? You're created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that you would walk in them. Oh, so he's already like prepared the works for me to do. Uh-huh. Right. So there's no good work that I'm going to do in any way, stretch, or form that he hasn't already laid at the foundation the sources for that good work to happen. That's exactly right. Because you are what? His workmanship. You are his workmanship, right? It's not according to you. Yes, in a sense, you are doing them, but where does the source of the doing them come from? It comes from God. His grace in you is what bubbles up into good works. The fruit and the evidence of good works is what bubbles up from the change of nature that he's brought about in your life. And so do you see what he's actually getting at again? Because he said, oh, I did some good works. I feel pretty good. Oh, yeah, God prepared them. Oh, so I can't take pride in that. Bingo. You see how, you see how helpful Paul is? That even in the moments right. Even in the moments, right, where we have done our best work, we realize that we are just we're, just, we're just faithful servants. Just unfaithful servants, right? Even in even our best realities. That is said. What's the goal of that? Is the goal of that to like, you know, put our nose in the dirt? Is, is that the goal of it? No. It's to lift your chin up to see Jesus. To rejoice in the one who has worked in you. You know, this week I heard so many stories of congregation members in this, this amazing body saying, talking about their home fellowship group and what's going on in it and the prayers they're having for each other and this person struggling with this and this person struggled with this 10 years earlier and now out of their weakness they're ministering to this person and you're just seeing this incredible tapestry of, of, of spirit-wrought, gospel-centered, good-working going on within the body, ministering to each other. And you know what we say to each other? We go, oh, let's rejoice. And you can see it on the faces of the people who are giving these testimonies they're just like, God has been so good to me. He's been so good to us. It's like there's astonishment that we get to serve in this way. That's how you know the Lord's at work, you see. Where you quit focusing on all of the who gets credit and do where due is given, and you start saying, all that goes to Jesus. We're just going in the wake of his grace, getting to lay our lives down as a living sacrifice. So here, in conclusion, I want just two things to say. I want you to believe two things. Two things as we're concluding today. I want you to believe that you are God's masterpiece because you are. Because you are. And if you believe, I don't feel much like a masterpiece, I want you to know that in one very real sense, you are right now positionally in Christ Jesus, fully complete in Christ, Colossians 2.18. Fully complete. And in another sense, you know what you are? A work in the making. There's still brushstrokes. The potter's hand is still, he's still on the clay, you see. 
that you are in the making to be the great masterpiece that will one day be revealed. Listen to John. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. Amen? (laughs) What we will be, I hope it's better than what we're at right now, right? But we know that when he appears, what? We shall be like him. We will see him even as he is. Do you see that? Do you know that? You know that line from C.S. Lewis in his sermon, The Weight of Glory, where he says, when we see each other in heaven... If we didn't know better, the glory and the beauty of one another would be so overwhelming, we'd be tempted to worship each other. That's, how, that's what a masterpiece. And I, don't, you know, I want you to just think. Think of the person around you right now. You're like, yeah, he's not very much. She's, she's not very much. Tempted to worship them, the glory. Why? Because they are his workmanship. You're looking at it with the eyes of, of your head. You're not looking at it with the eyes of your faith. You're not seeing it through the lens of the Scripture. They're the most beautiful, beautiful display of God's masterpiece all around you. And in this corporate body, in the world, as the Lord is at work, I want you to believe that you are God's masterpiece. And yes, you are a masterpiece in making. And secondly and finally, I want you to believe that God has a call on your life because He does. He has a call on your life because He because he does. Now, it's easy for, it may seem like it's easy for me to say that, right? You, you think to yourself, oh, well, Pastor, you have a calling. You know, Greg has a calling. Tony has a calling. Meredith has a calling. They work for the church. They're doing really important stuff. Do you know this, this passage? Let me just make it just super clear. Ephesians 2 is not about pastors. It's not, it's not about church workers. He didn't say, those of you who are ordained. This is to people who are newly converted in Ephesus trying to overcome worship of Artemis and idolatry and who are stumbling and fumbling in their faith. You have a calling. And your calling is to live out of the identity that the Lord has given you in good work. He has a calling on your life. Now, how can we have hope in all of this, right? Well, let's just remember, because some of us will be over-responsible and try to fulfill all of this immediately in our own strength. Let's just remember real quickly that Jesus that Jesus is the most complete and the most beautiful and glorious masterpiece that there is. And he has already fulfilled the calling for you and me. We are those who walk in his grace. We are those who walk in his love. He's already fulfilled it. Let's with joy then follow him. Father in heaven, would you come and would you give us grace to understand and apply this own text through the Spirit's help to our hearts personally. Would you give us as a community the wisdom to know how to encourage each other in this walk. And would you in every way glorify yourself. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.